it's history, where two best friends who are not equipped to tell you about history do it anyway, because we do what we want here. <laughs> Morgan, how are you? I am great. How are you? I'm wonderful, because we have a guest today. Guest, 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 guest. And that guest is my brother, Zach. Hello. How's everybody Hello. doing? You know. I'm sure they're great if they're listening to us. Oh, you know, I'm sure they're fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So um, if y'all haven't figured out by the title of today's skit, Morgan, you haven't figured out what we're talking about today. Um, no, I'm not. So I'll just tell you, we're going to talk about NASCAR. NASCAR. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> raise down, yeah. raise down. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dale ain't dead. He's a lap ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So I brought Zach on because growing up, uh, he loved NASCAR and he still enjoys it. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Oh, yeah. So uh, what better person to have to talk about it today? So um, and I'm kind of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm kind of making him be part of the skit, Morgan. So this is fun. Mm -hmm. That's fine. So are you all ready to get into it? Okie dokie. Let's do it. The year is 1993 at the Winston 500 in Talladega. Rusty Wallace is on the track to finish in the top five and is right in front of Dale Earnhardt, also known as the Intimidator. Fans are on the edge of their seats as the final lap of the race unfolds. Come on! Bill's in first few laps ago. How did he get all the way back there? Oh, don't worry. I'm sure they'll still finish the top five. Wait, what's he doing? In the blink of an eye, Dale bumps the tail of Rusty's car, sending him into a spin-out. <gasps> no, Rusty! No! Rusty, no! Oh, Dale! Oh. Not Rusty! The car turned backwards and sent Wallace airborne. The car does a series of flips and cartwheels, all the while panels and pieces from the car go flying. The car came to a stop, finally, upright, and was little more than a roll cage and an engine. Holy shit, you can see straight in the car. What the hell was that? Did Dale win? That's what you're worried about right now? That wrecks happened. I can literally see Rusty moving around right now. He's fine. But still. Hey, it's like Kelly Arbor. Driving a race car is like dancing with a chainsaw. Thankfully, the wreck only resulted in minor injuries and a hand cast for Rusty, and he would go on that season to win 10 more races and finish second in points behind no other than the Intimidator himself. This isn't the first incident like this in NASCAR history, and we can guarantee it won't be the last either. Weird, weird thing about going into that race, by the way, yeah. Rusty Wallace at the time was uh, in the points lead. He was winning the championship, and Dale Earnhardt was second. So that was, that was a little strategic. Wow. <laughs> you would know that off the top of your head. Oh my god! <laughs> I, hey, you got me on here for a reason, right? I know. Also, yeah. I have a question. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I was researching that skip, or you know that that wreck, mm-hmm. um, they said in the video that he um, was going to be credited with a sixth finishing position. Mm-hmm. Why is it because he was purposefully bumped and wrecked? 
Uh, yes, they gave him a sixth place finish because he was because he was wrecked. Uh, because it the, wasn't like his bad driving; it was he was wrecked. It, yeah, and that's it's kind of controversial at that point. But um, th- at that point, it's kind of controversial to like award somebody a, a points finish, and they just don't do it anymore like that. It's just like how like now it's kind of the approach of ah, it happens. Oh, but, okay. So but now they things were do a little, that. yeah. No, things are a little less refined, or things were a little less refined in nineteen ninety in the nineties. Yeah, um, it's not like as struck strict or strict strict. But if I could speak, um, yeah. it's not as strict and structured as it is now. But okay. I mean, it's kind of a uh, kind of not great. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and that's just I where could he was see. Right. Yeah, I could see mm-hmm. how that um, how you would want to do that because it wasn't mm-hmm. his fault, but also. I could see the controversy in that because it's like you're racing. Rex is going to happen. Yeah. Also, it's like the, the a lot of people thought he would like need to finish last because his car was technically wrecked. But the rule is if you finish the line, right? Mm-hmm. If you finish um, and you cross the line. Okay. Um, if you cross the line, even if your car is totaled, if you cross the line on the last lap, that is where you finish. So his car was totaled, but he did cross the finish line, technically, while his car was flipping in midair. Oh my god. So he just, so he just oh got shit. Huh. Well, yeah. I mean, well, he finished. And they're just like, and they're just like, well, we could, we could make him get DNF, but, cause he, but he technically finished, cause his car, at least what was left of it, did cross the finish line. <laughs> so, here you go. <laughs> got sixth on a technicality. <laughs> I can't remember what is it. Is it Talladega Nights where they just foot race across to the finish yeah, line? Yeah, yeah, that, that wouldn't count. That that one would not count. <laughs> just carry a tire with you. <laughs> My car crossed. <laughs> you you uh you put the tire down and you like jump. And like <laughs> roll across it, like roll across it, across the it's finish like a line. Unicycle. You're just running backwards to get it to go forward. Uh, sit, <laughs> sit on just the axle and roll yourself with the two tires. <laughs> I love this. Oh. Okay. So, um, how did we get here? Where did it start? <laughs> it's a skit. But um, <laughs> so. Let's get into the beginnings of stock car racing. And I mean, before NASCAR was a thing, why are we racing stock cars? Other than the fact that it's just fun as shit. So it actually had, and I'm I'm sure both of y'all know this, but it had its origins um, during the time of Prohibition when people were (laughs) running from the cops trying to get their shine places. (laughs) (laughs) i love that yeah um so they would tune and alter these cars to make them faster to evade the law trying to get their shine everywhere and later on they just started racing for fun and it started to become more popular in the southern states and that's really the main reason it has its origins in the south ish and most of the tracks nowadays are in the south the majority of them. Um, so some of the oldest tracks. So the Milwaukee Mile is the oldest continuing, continually operating, if I could talk, um, motor speedway in the world. It opened in 1903. 
And in 2024, it will host the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series and the IndyCar Doubleheader Weekend. So we're not looking at like the the Cup Series on that track, but it is considered the oldest. And then Indianapolis Motor Speedway was built before World War I. Um, and that was the first event at the track. <laughs> the first event at the track was a hot air balloon race. <laughs> Why? That's my favorite stat. That's my favorite little <laughs> just interesting. It's like, all right, we have a we have a, a car, a, a car speedway. Let's have a hot air balloon first. Yeah. You know, <laughs> let's race something that doesn't require the ground. <laughs> How do you race hot air balloons? Fuck if I know. <laughs> you know, that's a good question. They're not very good at going forward fast. They only go up fast. What have, if you you just ever, had... <laughs> have you ever seen, like, the baby races where they put babies on one end and another parent on the other? Mm-hmm. That's how I imagine it would be that much of a clusterfuck. <laughs> They're just going all over the place. Imagine. Wherever the wind takes them. Yeah. <laughs> the finish line is whatever direction the wind is blowing, roughly like 500 yards that way. It's just, it, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Their first car race was held in August of 1909. Wait, uh, was it so- two months later just because that's how long it took the hot air balloons to finish? <laughs> <laughs> Those those poor people were watching for two months. I want to go home. They're still in the grandstands. They're just like, God, this is taking forever. It's the longest pre-race I've ever been to. (laughs) (laughs) It's the old lady from the Titanic. It's been 89 years. Okay, so the Indianapolis 500 started in 1911, but NASCAR did not get that track, did not acquire the track until 1994, and it's still being used in NASCAR races today. Um, So a big notable event. On December the 14th in 1947, Bill France Sr. organized a meeting at the Streamline Hotel in Daytona Beach, Florida. And this was the meeting that put that was put together to discuss the future of stock car racing. So by then, here and there, they kind of had some organization going, but it was nothing official. And this meeting, they put together NASCAR, which stands for the National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing. And that was put together on December 14th of 1947. The first race would take place... On February the 15th, so just a couple of months later, in 1948, and at the time of, well, this is, it's not February yet, but this episode will air on the anniversary of the first race happening under the NASCAR name. Nice. Emily has a penchant yeah. for somehow uh. picking topics like that. It's, this is not the I first just, time it's happened. No. <laughs> That's that's amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, they st- the the season still kicks off in February. It's like it's just like ah, I I don't want to bust yeah. with the date. It still just starts in February. And it also always starts in Daytona. Yep. Yep. Always. Always. So to keep this uh, pretty consistent, because a lot of shit happens, um, 
we're going to go by generations. There are seven generations in NASCAR. We are on the seventh, so that is currently happening. Um, but the first generation was considered to be between 1948 and 1966. So what kind of cars did they have? Morgan, I do, and Zach, I have pictures of the cars in the skit if you just scroll down. So the first generation, literally, they would just take their daily drivers to these dirt racetracks or on the beach. Or, I mean, they were just kind of everywhere. So these people would drive them. They would take the hubcaps, mufflers off, tape up headlights, race the shit out of them. And just go on. Sometimes if they didn't have enough cars to race, some people from the track would go to like a car lot and rent some cars, slap some numbers on them and have people race them. (laughs) Imagine the insurance call for that. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) Can you you imagine being like a car renter and this guy be like, hey, I need to rent a car. Okay, here you go, sir. Have a good time. Comes back and it's busted as fuck. Like, thanks for letting me rent this car. Bye. Like, why? Why did you see? Yeah, the number on the (laughs) side. (laughs) Like, Like, why did you put a big giant eighty-seven sticker on the side of it? It's just like, look, dude, don't worry about it. This, this is crazy. This guy came out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) See what it happened was. (laughs) Um, And at this time, it was only recommended that you wear a helmet, and the helmets were just like leather they look like leather football helmets like buddy that ain't gonna do shit (laughs) but um before i get into notable events from this time the tracks that we still use that were opened during the first generation were north wilkesboro speedway and that was in 1947 um and it it has hosted at least one race in every cup since 1949 um Except its doors were closed between 1996 and 2002. It is now back in the rotation. We've got Martinsville Speedway in 1947, Darlington Raceway in 1950, and that was NASCAR's first super speedway. And we've got the Daytona International Speedway in 1959. And that one is significant because Bill France wanted a track that could take the cars to the next level. So that's when we start seeing the 30-degree banking on the sides. Um, And it's two and a half miles. So for it to be a super speedway, I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, Zach, it has to be longer than a mile? Uh, So it's... it's there's a couple different classifications. Super speedways, um, at the time, Darlington was called a super speedway, mm-hmm. but that's not really the classification anymore. Okay. Really, the only two super speedways are Daytona and Talladega. They're at least okay. two and a half miles long. And what makes them a super speedway is speed is the only thing you really care about because okay. you don't have to hit the brakes. The tracks uh... are so big there that you rarely ever have to just let off of the gas or you know hit the brakes in any way whatsoever. You were just throttled down the entire time. Got it. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was Darlington was a super speedway because the cars couldn't get fast enough to really have to worry about those specific corners. Yeah. But now Darlington is is not considered that. Okay. Actually, actually, one of the shorter ones, one of the shorter tracks. Yeah, I think it was just barely over a mile um, when I was looking at it. So yep. we've also got Charlotte Motor Speedway and Atlanta Motor Speedway were both built in 1960. And then Bristol Motor Speedway in 1961. So some notable events that happened in this first generation, like I said, on February 15th, that was the first race in 
Daytona Beach. And it was at the Beach Road Course. So obviously the International Speedway had not been built yet, but it was on the Beach Road Course. And Red Byron won in his Ford. In June, on June 19th of 1949, was the first NASCAR strictly stock race. So that is currently the Cup Series. And it was held at the Charlotte Fairground Speedway. And that was only 0.75 miles. And in that race, Jim Roper won the race. Bob Flock won the first pole. And Sarah Christian, who finished 14th, is credited as the first woman to race in NASCAR's premier division. Very cool. I did not know. Yeah, I did not know that. Jim Roper competed in a borrowed Lincoln Coupe that he drove from his home in Kansas all the way to Charlotte. (laughs) And then he won. The fact that he borrowed the car. He borrowed it. Drove it from Kansas. What if he didn't tell his buddy what he was using it for? (laughs) He's like, hey, I gotta drive to to Charlotte this weekend for something. Uh, Can I just borrow your car? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you want to hear the worst one? No, it's, yeah. Lee Petty rolled his borrowed Buick in the race, and then they had to, him and his family had to hitchhike home. Oh my god. <laughs> just, they're just fucking about out there. Can you imagine uh, the story he had to tell the people that were picking him up? It's oh like, you're not gonna believe, it's like, I need a ride home, you're not gonna believe this. <laughs> oh gosh, imagine telling the people he borrowed the Buick from. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, so, funny story. Uh, <laughs> I think I've bought your Buick. <laughs> I'm giving you the money right now. Where is it? Don't worry about it. <laughs> what Buick? <laughs> what Buick? <laughs> you just gaslight them. You never owned a Buick. What are you talking about? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a Buick in my life. <laughs> What's a car? <laughs> I don't know how to drive. <laughs> um, okay, so on October the 16th of 1949, Red Byron won the first NASCAR Strictly Stock Championship. Again, that is what the cup is now. Morgan, you're going to fucking love this story. Okay. In the 1953 series or season, there at this point, we're getting into like owner-driver situations. So Tim Flock drove for the uh, the owner of the car. Okay. And the owner had a pet monkey named Jocko Flacco. And Jocko Flacco (laughs) rode in the car for eight races. (laughs) They gave him a little outfit that matched. They made him a harness. And he would wave at other drivers as he went by. What a distraction. I know. Imagine trying to pass this guy. And the monkey in the passenger seat just waves at you. Like, how do you pass him? Like, I don't know. Um, he, apparently, the monkey would laugh at the other drivers. Like, ha ha ha. And during one race, uh, Jocko somehow got his harness off. And then he, like, opened a little panel that I guess uh, Tim Flock would, like, check to see how his tires are doing or something like that. It was like, it it just looked at the ground. And Jocko opened it up, got hit in the face with a pebble, freaked the fuck out, and was like getting all up in 
uh, his face. <laughs> That's what I was concerned about. Like, why would you have a so, monkey in a car that could, like, tear your face off? So he's just panicking. He's not, like, hurting him. Mm-hmm. But so Tim whips it into the pit stop. Hands the monkey out the window to the pit crew and then just speeds off. So the monkey's like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And they kept him hidden from, like, the NASCAR officials. And (laughs) Tim Flock won that year because the monkey kept distracting the other drivers. The fifties were such a different time. <laughs> just they were just doing shit. Like, let's just see what we can get away with. We will have a tiny jumpsuit monkey. <laughs> they so Jocko cute. Flacco. <laughs> Jocko Flacco. Hold on, I forgot to put a picture of him, and I I want you to see. I need to see Jocko his... Flacco. Okay, it just Google Jocko Flacco. Okay. And then hit images and you'll see little he's he's in the number ninety one car. So tiny. He's so little. <laughs> Dude is just he's out of time. He's just I love the oh, the best thing is not even like the pictures of the actual like like Jocko Flacco and like the car and stuff. Oh. It's just the art. The the people oh, have yeah. just driven or like, you know. Like, There's a whole video of that. It's in the sources. <laughs> so phenomenal. y'all, if you want to watch it, uh, it's in the in our um, sources in the show notes. It's like it says something like Jocko Flacco video. But yeah, he was just hanging out, and apparently he had a good time. He was enjoying it until he got hit in the face with a pebble. But I mean, yeah. to be fair, I wouldn't have a good time after that either. No. <laughs> so okay, back on track. Oh. So moving on. I know. Look I, I just found one where, like, you can see like him wearing his jumpsuit and he's got the little ninety one and his tail sticking out. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's really cute. Anyway, go ahead. I knew this. I knew that was going to be your favorite part <laughs> of this whole thing. So, another significant event in 1959. Uh, Jim France, son of Bill France Sr., uh, joined the staff at International Speedway Corporation, or ISC. Um, and he worked in all phases of operation in the early years of the company, moved up to vice chairman, um, and sorry, vice chairman slash executive vice president of NASCAR before ultimately become being named chairman. So there's another uh, France family member in here. And you'll see that a lot, that it's actually a very family run organization are we talking about like like nepotism family run or like i don't know just like uh, I just, how do you feel first, about it zach okay the first francis were great yeah when we get into the later generation the the latest france whom i will not name yet because obviously we'll get there um has made questionable decisions as far as the direction of the sport's concerned oh, okay okay well, yeah, we'll definitely get into that later. I See, that's why we have Zach, because I don't know. <laughs> um, so on February 22nd of 1959 is when Daytona International Speedway hosts its first Daytona 500. Is it 500 laps or is it 
500 miles. 500 miles. So whatever 250. The... Yeah, whatever the numbers are at the end of the races, that's how many miles that they drive. So it's a 2.5 mile track. They run 250 miles. Okay. Or 250 laps, rather. Got it. So more than um, 41,000 fans attended this event. The winner wasn't decided until 61 hours after the checker flag flies because of the photo finish. They could not decide really? who it was. Um, Lee Petty was declared the winner by two feet after conclusive evidence from the newsreel. Wow. Two feet. You know, so yeah. this... <laughs> We did not do this on purpose, you guys, but my next episode's also going to be talking about races and Oh, my wins. God. <laughs> Get out of my head! <laughs> like We do this all the time, Zach. We always have, like, the same kind of topics. The, brave, the, the, the brain's just in sync. Yeah, we're melded yeah. completely. It's not about cars, but it's about a very famous um, racer. So I love this. When you were talking about, like, winning by two feet, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, in my episode, I talk about, like, how the person I'm talking about, like, won by so many margins or whatever. So, anyway. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. Continue, please. Yay, racing. (laughs) Um, So, on December 1st of 1963, um, Wendell Scott becomes the first black driver to win a race in NASCAR's premiere series, beating Buck Baker at Jacksonville Speedway. So go Wendell Scott. Yeah. So on to Generation 2. And this is between 1967 and 1980. This is when we start seeing more changes in the cars. And they're becoming less stock. Um, so we're not under any illusion anymore. These are not stock cars. At least... Just rolled them right off the lot. <laughs> they kind they kind of look like it a little bit, but they yeah. they're not. You no. know, they're race car. You're not borrowing your buddy's Buick and flipping it in Charlotte. That's for sure. No, no. I mean, Morgan, if you scroll down to the the second picture, you'll see this does not look like a stock car. No, at all. No. And so they did start mandating full roll cages that were welded onto the frame. So like, this is when they're starting to worry about safety. Starting um, to. <laughs> starting to it took him 20 years to kind of be like you know this might be a little dangerous yeah this is not a suggested <laughs> helmet wearing please put on your helmet sir um and the st- the car started to not have opening doors oh so this is when you start seeing the drivers go through the window i thought this happened way later yeah but i don't know Zach, why did why do they not have opening doors? Uh, but to my understanding, now this this may not be a hundred percent you know true, but um, the mechanics to well at least now the mechanics that like opening a door, the like door openings and stuff. What, what if it just flies open in the middle of the track? Fair. Like, you're just you're just you're just driving and like a couple screws come loose because you take a hit or something and all of a sudden you just don't have anything between you and another car going 200 miles an hour. Okay, okay, <laughs> At, yeah. you know, valid, <laughs> valid. I didn't know if it also had to do with like lessening the weight or or like maybe um, stability I mean, the or roll cage. Yeah. Weight, weight distribution is also a big thing, but th- from what I understand, what they did at first though was they just welded the doors shut. <laughs> 
from from what I remember hearing is they what they would do is they would just literally take just a welder and go and then just weld the door door shut and be done with it. Take all the I interior mean... bits out of it and that's it. Plus, like glass is a thing, I guess yeah. that you won't not want to have. So they would just take all the interior glass and all the mechanics and stuff out of it. Yeah. Okay. Nope. That makes total sense. Um, and they also start doing other modifications. And as you can see in the picture, these are big, heavy, like powerful muscle cars. They are mm-hmm. focused on muscle. I want it to go fast. So they're not caring about aerodynamics. They're not caring about anything like that. They just want to make the fastest car possible. And so most crew chiefs on the team also knew how to build engines and knew how to work. And they were doing things like in garages. And I mean, I'm sure some of the the people who had more money had better setups, but we're still not completely away from its roots of like anyone can drive here. They just knew how to make it faster. And they also had less emphasis on handling as well. So... Tracks that were built during the second generation were Michigan International Speedway in 1968, Dover Motor Speedway in 69, Talladega in 69, and Pocono Raceway in 1971. Talladega had a really fun, fun in quotation marks, history (laughs) behind it. Uh, Apparently, they built it. It was supposed to be... I think in one of the Carolinas, but they wouldn't uh, like the state at the time wouldn't allow race races to happen on Sunday because it being a holy day. So they were like, fuck you. Fine. We'll go to Alabama, (laughs) Alabama, (laughs) Alabama. Um, so they got this like old air base or something like that. And, built the track on it and they finished building this track literal days before like the first races would start and the racers came and they drove on the track and they realized that the track was absolutely shredding their tires i mean they would Uh make it just a few laps around and they were just i mean basically exploding these tires and uh, the two tire companies, I believe it was what Firestone and Goodyear's what they use Goodyear? now. It could, could it could have been Goodyear then? I think it's Goodyear and Firestone were the two co- competitors. And Firestone was like, "Look, we cannot get you a tire that's going to handle that in time. We're out. You guys race on whatever tire you want to race on." Um, and uh, Goodyear was like, "Nah, we think we can do it." And a lot of the racers were like, we're not going to race because we like to live. Mm-hmm. We we do enjoy the breathing thing. <laughs> so, like, at the last minute, all these racers boycotted Talladega. They were like, we're not racing in this. And they left. It was like three NASCAR racers that actually stayed. And in the last minute, Goodyear came through Gave them the tires that actually held up surprisingly well. But the problem was they only had three drivers. They only had three cars. That's not a race. So they took, they they went out to another like division and just were like, hey, y'all want to come race today? <laughs> so we had like these three like official NASCAR drivers and cars. And 
all these other people, random and people. other random dudes. <laughs> like, just, random just, dudes. just, we have NASCAR and the fellas. <laughs> 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 we got NASCAR and Jim Bob from around the corner. Um, racing. He owns the liquor store. the liquor store. And this is, Morgan, this is giving, like, um, Olympics of 1908 vibes. Yes. For sure. But they finished the race, the tires held up well, and the fans loved it, and um, they were afraid that people wouldn't come and watch the race, so they were like, hey, if you come and watch Talladega, if you come to this inaugural race in Talladega, we'll give you free tickets to another race. Because the builder was in debt to his eyeballs, and he was like, I need people to buy tickets to this race so I can pay for the fucking racetrack. <laughs> I mean, that's not a it bad a that's not a bad deal. No, people came in droves cuz they're like two races for the price of one. Hell yeah. yeah. Done. Done. Modern day Ticketmaster would never. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely not. They charge you double for the audacity of the idea. <laughs> you thought you could get a two for one deal from us? Well, we're going to charge you double and give you one event. How's that a two for one? We'll give you a one for two event, bitch. <laughs> so, some notable events that happened in the second generation. So, in November of 1966 was the first race of um, the 1967 season, and it was raced in Augusta, Georgia, where Richard Petty won his first of a single-season record 27 races. So, he won 27 races out of, I believe it was... 48. 48? They were running 48 races, like 40 to 50 races a season back then. That's a lot! Yeah, that's how he has 200 wins. Um, Jesus Christ! But just how dominant he was in that season. Um, uh, yeah, that's almost that's so like half of them. There were forty-eight races in a season. Uh-huh. He led a lap in at least forty-one of forty-eight races. So at one point, he was in the lead in forty-one of forty-eight races. Um, he led forty-four percent of all laps ran in that season. My God, <laughs> I have a question because I I have an answer. don't know anything about racing. Just from what I've picked up living mm-hmm. in Tennessee my entire life. Is Richard mm-hmm. Petty Lee Petty's son, or are they related? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think um, it's the Petty family had like four generations of racers mm-hmm. for a while. I, it's really funny because that story earlier about Lee Petty, like his family hitchhiking home, Richard was probably one of the kids having That's to hitchhike home. <laughs> probably. After, after you know, the, the race. <laughs> And, you know, that kid, instead of being traumatized, was just like, this is the best experience of my life. I'm going to do this. <laughs> He's, like, itching for more. Daddy, when are we going to go race? <laughs> You'll hitchhike again. <laughs> no, he, so, so yeah, he, he was dominant in that era. And, and just the fact that he led in 41 of 41, 41 of 48 races. Yeah. Led 44% of all laps ran in that season. At one point, he ran 10, he won 10 races in a row. In that season. Damn. Good God. And he was just, it was, it was, everyone else was literally racing for second the majority of the time. Oh my God. Damn. Well, I mean, he is known as the king, so. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So in 1970, Lisa France Kennedy, so that's the daughter of Bill France Jr., joins the staff at International Speedway Corporation. 
and um, is instrumental in the growth of ISC and the advancement of the motorsport. So she moved up, served as vice chairman of NASCAR and vice chairperson of the board of directors for ISC. So more family. Yay. Yay. Um, so in Janu- on January the 10th of 1972, the founder of NASCAR, Bill, Re- Bill France Sr., hands over the reins of leadership to Bill France Jr., who becomes the second president in NASCAR history. So in uh, the second generation is when we start seeing the emergence of Dale Earnhardt Sr. I am going to get into his life. I couldn't get into the life of every important NASCAR racer out there. I wish I could. Dale's my favorite, so we're going to talk about him today. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Dale made his debut race in May of 1975 at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and he finished 22nd. And it would be several more years before he was dubbed the title of the Intimidator. But let's get into his early life. So, he was born in 1951 in North Carolina, and he is the son of... Uh, and another successful race car driver and mechanic, Ralph Earnhardt. And I did not know this, but he dropped out of school in the ninth grade and just held odd and in jobs while he was attempting to get his career yep. off the ground. Yep. Never had a high school diploma, nothing like that. Dropped out in ninth grade. Wow. That's crazy. In his personal life, he had four kids, two sons, Dale Jr. and Carrie, both of whom would become drivers themselves, and then two daughters, Kelly and Taylor. So, okay, so he eventually caught the eye of Rod Osterland, and he, Rod Osterland was a race sponsor based in California, and he was signed to um, his first Winston Cup contract in the 1979 year. So he did race for four years before he was brought on by a big sponsor, and that was really significant because I'm sure it's still like this, but Money is everything. If you don't have a big sponsor, if you don't have the money, you don't have the access to the things that could make you a successful driver. You can only go as fast as the car goes. So right. a spon- the sponsor was big for him. And in that year, in the 1979 season, he won the Rookie of the Year award. And the following year, he won the Winston Cup. He just won it all making him the first driver ever to win the Rookie of the Year and then the Winston Cup in back-to-back seasons. Is that is he the only one to do that, Zach? Uh, I, I'm not sure if there's been any to do it since. I think he was... Okay. Uh, maybe? Maybe Jimmy Johnson, maybe. I'll have to double-check yeah. that. Don't quote me on that. Cool. Um, so in 1981, Osterlin sold the team to J.D. Stacy, and apparently Dale and Stacy did not get along. So Dale signed with Richard Childress that year, and then after that year, spent the next two years with Bud Moore, who just had more opportunities for him. But then when Childress's race team got the funds and got themselves off their feet, Dale went back and raced for Childress in the Mm -hmm. 1984 series, and that's where he stayed. He won four races in 1985 then won five races in the Winston Cup in 1986. And then in 1987, he won the Winston Cup for a third time, winning 11 races and finishing within the top five in 21 out of 29 races. That's just fucking killing it. This is also the time where we start to see like, you know, they're they're not running 50 races anymore. Right. Going down to like 30-ish that area. 
Is there a reason they did that? Money. Oh. It's expensive. Yeah. Yeah, it's expensive to run cars 50 times a year. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I was uh, watching a video, and I think in one of the later generations, they mentioned, they're like, oh, well, this is, uh, you know, uh, they're thinking about cost savings. We're going to run this car 16 times this race. And I don't think it really like dawned on me that they're not racing the whole like the same car the entire season no like the cars are just going to give out on them at some point Mm -hmm. and the fact that they were bragging about being able to use it in 16 races was just mind-blowing to me that is an absurd number of races to be able to use one car normally yeah like four or five maybe jesus christ if you get lucky and you don't crash or okay so this is another weird thing too the winner of the daytona 500 um, it is, it is contract it is you cannot get around this in any way. The winner of the Daytona 500 has their car taken away from them and put into Daytona's, uh, speed world. They're, they're like tourist display thing. So when you go to Daytona after the Daytona 500, the car that won is just sitting there and the teams can't use it anymore for the entire year. Do they get it back the next year? Yeah, but I mean, there's so many rule changes that you can only use bits and pieces out of it. Wow. The year the year after, uh, let's see, Dale Earnhardt Jr. won his first Daytona 500. Mm-hmm. The year after that, um, or the year the, the Daytona race after that, there's always one in February, and then there's one later on in the season. Yeah. And he was in an interview saying he wished he had that car back because it was a lot better than the car he had at Daytona, the second <laughs> Daytona race. No! Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, this one's not nearly as good. It's not nearly, it doesn't feel as good. It's not as strong, you know. I could just see, like, in the middle of the night trying to switch out the cars. <laughs> just somebody, just mission possible car swap. Like. Yeah, but you never could. You start that thing and it's going to alert three neighborhoods down. Like. <laughs> so, so I mean, it's just, it's just like, you know, as far as just cost and everything is concerned, there's just another layer to it, though. Yeah. Just imagine you, you spend, you know, a quarter of a million dollars on a car and then you win a race and you're like, this is awesome. And Daytona is like, yeah, cool. This is ours now. This is our car. <laughs> I'm going to take that. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Is there a reason why that is the case? Like why that happens? Uh, it's just the most prestigious event. Uh, the Daytona 500 is by far the the most prestigious yeah. event. It's the crown and, jewel. Yeah. So so they have that car on display for like, you know, Daytona just to get for more posterity. tours throughout the year. You can come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like one of those kinds yeah, of okay. things. They're jerking Damn. themselves off. Like, look at us and our it's fancy like, look, cars. we have the. It's like, mm, yeah, we. This is the winner of this year's race, and I mean, they just they take it straight off. They don't wash it or anything. They just take it straight out of victory lane and just throw it in there. It's I like, remember going to see it a couple of times, like going to see the cars that were there, and just the confetti is just dried onto it. Like, it, oh like you God. have to peel it off and stuff. I can I can't imagine just being the driver being like, you do know I need that, right? Like. I need that back. What what do you want me to do? (laughs) Fucking run? Like, (laughs) oh my god. Hitchhike hitchhike back from Charlotte. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. You know, that's a borrowed car, right? Like, I need that. I need to give it back. Um, Okay. So, around this time, what year are we in again? Around 87. Late 80s, early 90s. He started to become known as the Intimidator. Because he was known for bumping drivers and being just downright aggressive. 
And he was like, well, you know, kind of like bumpins racing kind of attitude. But the president wasn't very happy and he had to stop doing that so much. I mean, obviously by our skit, he was still doing that shit, but... <laughs> he didn't care. He didn't care. <laughs> he just did it sneakier. <laughs> he was like, he was like, alright, I'm still gonna do it, but I'm gonna make it look more like an accident. Just like, my bad. <laughs> Oopsies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, could you imagine if you knew, like, how he raced, and you look in your, like, rearview mirror, and he's, like, right there, you're like, fuck. Well, uh, when fuck. He, he was, it was a race in Bristol. Yeah. And he spun out Terry Labonte on the last lap to win the race. He was in second. Terry Labonte was in first. He spun out Terry Labonte at Bristol. Just it was kind of blatant. Yeah. And he gets into victory lane, and he goes, "I didn't." And in the interview, he goes, "Yeah, I didn't mean to wreck him. I just meant to rattle his cage a little bit." Like he, yeah, okay. <laughs> you knew you knew what you were doing, but My it's man. okay. But he's like, he's like, for legal reasons, this was an accident. <laughs> Just like I was just goofing. I was just goofing. Just it's just a joke. Just I was just goosing. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so Dale won his fourth Winston Cup in nineteen ninety, earning him three point eight million dollars. He won again in ninety one, ninety three, and ninety four, and that put him as at the same amount of career titles as Richard Petty. And Remember, he's driving less, now that I know that, that's more significant. He's driving less races. Damn. <laughs> so, in 1996, he became the third driver to start 500 consecutive Winston Cup races. He started 500 Winston consecutive Cup Consecutive Winston Cup races. So, over his career, he started in 500 races that were involved in the Winston Cup. That's crazy. One of consecutively. Consecutively. Damn. Yep. So um, he made $30 million in career earnings in 1997. So he he started in 676 total races, but 500 in a row. 500 in a row. Was like, that was like the benchmark. Yes. That's so crazy. And there's only like 30 a year, right? Yeah. I'm doing that math really quick. Listen, that man was not missing a race, damn it. He wasn't doing it. And this is about the time, while you're doing math, this is about the time that they switched to the black car and they did the black um, paint job because they were like, man, Darth Vader's really fucking cool. You know what would be really intimidating? A black car. <laughs> Literally, they took inspiration from Darth Vader. I love that. I do too. Uh, so, weird thing about... um. Dale Earnhardt and that kind of like the the thing you know how, mm-hmm. how tough he was mm-hmm. uh in 1982 he was involved in a wreck in at Pocono Motor Speedway yeah um and he broke his leg Jesus like, Christ just 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 broke right yeah and he was like could be worse and he just he just he kept he later on in that season he just kept going he just That's crazy just kept racing was it like his yeah. left leg so like uh they have three pedals Wait. There's a there's a clutch. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, are they automatic or are they not? No. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> He's fine. You know what? Good for you, Dale. So Good for you. I did the math and that's like if he did thirty races a year, he had to race every race for six over sixteen years. 
Yeah. He started in, uh, what year was it? 70... 79 to uh, 75 to 2001 he did it in that amount of time yeah now you're also you also have to think about like there's some races that got canceled there were like i think yeah for weather things like that yeah yeah everything yeah he started all of the ones that were racing damn so so all through that time he still hadn't won a daytona 500 which again is the crown jewel of the cup races so he had come close multiple times, but had, like, bad luck during the race. So, like, mechanical failures, hitting something on the track, things like that would just stop him. And he, he won. He hit a seagull one year. <gasps> what the fuck? <laughs> mm-hmm. A seagull was flying down the back straightaway. Uh, and just, he hit his car with a seagull. <laughs> oh, my God. That sounds like that time, Zach, we were driving down the road and a squirrel fell out of the tree and hit the windshield. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Some fucking shit. The wildlife yep. needs to fuck off. I bet that <laughs> yep. so was... seagull was atomized. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he was, he was, it was in 1991. He was in the lead. He was in first place. And <laughs> just the seagull. <laughs> just done. Was this seagull deaf? Because I can't imagine a seagull willingly going into something that makes that much noise. I don't know. He was just. just What's going on it here? It just reminds me. Oh, a hot dog. <laughs> Mine? Mine? <laughs> oh my god. That did not come up, and I'm so glad you told me that. Um, so he finally won. Uh, where there were no seagulls in 1998. Um, and in 1997, there was a very, very bad crash and they were like, you good. And he's like, sure. Yeah, he was fine, but they didn't think he was okay for a while, but he did win in 98. And that year he would finish in the top 10, giving him 20 seasons of finishing in the top 10 out of 22 years of racing. Damn. Yeah. He was just killing it out there. So, this is when it gets really sad. Listen, I told Zad Tech Zach when I was watching this video. I watched a video about Dale Earnhardt, and by the end, I'm crying. So, that's that's where we're at. In the last lap of the Daytona 500 in 2001, he was in third place. And he was protecting the front two positions, which were Dale Jr., his son, and his teammate, Michael Waltrip. And he was clipped from behind. Zach, do you remember who clipped him? Uh, Sterling Marlin. Okay. And he also, Michael Waltrip wasn't his teammate. He owned oh. Dale Jr. and Michael Waltrip's cars. He was an owner and a racer at the That's same time. That's right. That's right. So he's like, he's like, if I finish third and Dale Jr. and Michael Waltrip win, one, it's good. a great, it's a great day. Like, you know. Yeah. Um. You know, we're, we're, and so he's he's just like, I can't win this. I can't get enough momentum to get there. I'm just going to block for them. Right. Right. Unfortunately, when he was clipped from behind, he was uh, he went straight into the wall. And like in the 1997 season, people are like, oh, well, he's he survived worse because that's 97 crash was a lot more dramatic. But because he went straight into the wall, he wasn't wearing a Hans device, which is a head and neck support it basically attaches your like 
shoulders and your neck and your head and keeps it in place on the back of um the 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 seat. Yeah. So you don't get jerked forward and yeah. you know, frankly, die like Dale did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um he was killed on impact. Um Man. because he wasn't wearing that Hans device, which um there were a few good things that came out of that incident and that being that the Hans device was mandated after that just weeks later they're like if it can happen to Dale it can literally happen to anybody so, so were closed face helmets he was wearing an open face helmet until he died wow. so he he didn't have a visor or an entire closed face helmet or anything he was still his face was completely exposed as well so they mandated the Hans device they mandated closed face helmets and they started development on the next generation of car good yeah um, and his death was actually the last death of a NASCAR driver to happen, like, on track. Okay. And that was in 2001. So we've come leaps and bounds in 23 years, which is wonderful. Yeah. We hate that it happened to Dale. And it was devastating to everyone. It's still devastating. Because what, mm-hmm. I mean, he he did only run, what, 676 um, yeah, races? Yeah, 676. But, I mean, he wasn't done. He, Lord knows what we missed out on. But mm-hmm. it did make the sport safer in the future. So, he won 76 out of those 676 starts. Um, and ended with seven Cup Series championships over his career. Some quotes from him. Two of my favorite things are my steering wheel and my Remington rifle. Um, another one was, I got in the ambulance and I looked back over there and I said, man, the wheels ain't knocked off that car yet. Get out. I gotta go. (laughs) He just wrecked. He's like, he's like, he's like, he just wrecked. He looked over. He's like, you know, it looks like he could still drive. Yeah. In the back of the ambulance. It still has wheels. It's fine. Yeah. Um, he was also quoted saying, when I came into Winston Cup, I didn't have nothing. And he had everything at the end. And yep. at uh, the last one I'll have for now is, quote, the only thing I think about is winning races and the championship. It's like hunting and fishing. You want to catch the most fish or shoot the most ducks with the least shells. You don't want to be standing there with a whole pile of shells on the ground and one duck. Which is fair. That's yeah. some southern wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> Son, I'm going to need you to kill uh, two ducks with one bullet there. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to back it up. If I quit moving my fucking chair. Okay, we're going to back it up. Uh, back to 1977. I just wanted to get into Dale Earnhardt's life because it needed to be said. So we're still in the second generation of cars. Um, so on February 20th, 1977, Janet Guthrie becomes the first woman to compete in the Daytona 500. Um, she qualifies 39th and finishes 12th. Zach, please explain qualifying and then like racing and how that applies. Okay. So qualifying, um, and qualifying is basically, Every single, it's changed a little bit throughout the years, but this Mm -hmm. is, is, I think it's gone back to the normal thing now. Um, Each car goes out individually and sees how fast that they can go. Because what you don't want is the fastest car in the field in the back and the slowest car in the front, and it causes this giant cluster in the middle. 
Okay. Um, so they go out and they each run in one or two laps, depending on the track. And the cars that go um, fastest start in the front. Okay. And then the cars that go slowest start in the back. And it's just an order. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so she started, she qualified at 39th and she finished 12th. So that's. Yes. So significant improvement. That's, that's, a, that's awesome. a big margin. Yeah. Cool. So that's really more like her skill as a driver versus just like the speed of her car. Apparently her car was not that fast and she was just good enough to get it up to 12th. I don't know the circumstances of this race specifically. Yeah. Um, but there's also one more practice generally between, uh, qualifying and the actual start of the race so they may have found something in that in that practice session where they could just make the car a little bit faster and then she just gets up there um mm-hmm. but either way daytona is a very skillful track because of the way that the you never let off the gas so mm-hmm. you have to do um you have to find like openings yeah. to where you know normally it's not there it's hard to win yeah okay well hey good for her damn that was in 1977 so february 18th of 1979 um, CBS prevents the first live flag-to-flag coverage of a 500-mile NASCAR event with the Daytona 500. So a lot of firsts are happening at Daytona. This is funny as shit. So at this race, Richard Petty avoids an incident between Cale Yarborough and Donnie Allison on the last lap of the race. So Cale and Donnie get into an accident. Richard Petty is able to get around and wins the race. While Richard Petty is actively winning the race, Yarborough and Allison, and then Bobby Allison, um, get out of their cars and start fighting in the infield <laughs> around turns three and four. <laughs> oh, no. I can't remember if it was Donnie or Kale, but during the fight, one of them just took off their helmet, just started swinging their helmet at the other person <laughs> like a weapon. <laughs> Oh, I love uh, that it, so much. <laughs> it's, just, it's just all right. You want to go? I got a helmet. Just let's go. <laughs> I was gonna win this fucker, and then just like, <laughs> oh my god, they just started swinging. <laughs> there was there was very minimal talk. I think if if I remember seeing the video correctly, they just get out. One of them kind of like does like the shoulder shrug thing that you do at each other, and then they just start swinging at each other. <laughs> like. <laughs> And imagine this being on the first <laughs> live coverage of the race. <laughs> yeah, because they didn't take I forgot the, it was the first. It was the live first live live event. It was the first live event of a NASCAR race. So they just they got the camera over there. It's just like, oh yeah, family friendly fun, and they just start fighting. Like, oh my god! It's... I'm just imagining like I haven't seen the video, but I'm just imagining like the camera going from like Richard Petty winning and like swooping over the the track to focus in on these guys fighting in the infield. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Richard Petty won, but look at these guys. Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to win this? And then and then uh Bobby Allison sees his brother in a fight. <laughs> Yeah, it pulls just pulls up. off. <laughs> he just pulls up. He's like, all right, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Fuck this race. I gotta back up Donnie. <laughs> That's the best moment ever. Uh, okay, so November 18th of 1979, Richard Petty wins his record-setting seventh series championship. So he wins his seventh series championship in the same season that um, 
for reference, Dale Earnhardt gets his first sponsorship. That's when that happens. Okay. Um, I know we kind of went forward and then back. So on to the third generation. This is between 1981 and 1991. Significant car changes in this uh, generation. So the wheelbase went from 115 to 110. So that made the cars a little smaller. Um, bigger emphasis on handling and aerodynamics. And that's when we're starting to see more of like the modern look of um, the NASCAR cars. So, oh, I actually, mm -hmm. we skipped one. So it's the 28, number 28 mm -hmm. one. Um, mm -hmm. And then people with more money really started to excel in this sport. And they started to become more like race cars and less like stock car looking. Um, and then yeah, it, they're a lot more rounded. Yeah, I'm sure a lot more aerodynamic. Oh yeah, <laughs> they, they figured out that it doesn't matter if you have 900 horsepower if you drive like a brick hurling through water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and they started to do more aftermarket and specialty specialty built components to replace the stock ones. Um, no one's under the impression that these are stock anymore. We're just keeping stock in the name of NASCAR because. Um, I think any other letter would sound stupid. So, yeah. Na I, I can't even think of one. Like, a manufactured Wait, car? Manufactured I don't know. Manufactured car? Nam car. <laughs> uh, stock, let's, you could do just, instead of stock, race cars. A NAR car. <laughs> NAR car. NAR <laughs> car. I just sound like narwhal. Yeah, I'm out here running my narwhal car. <laughs> my NAR car. NAR car. <laughs> NAR car. You can't say that without a southern accent either. Narcar. <laughs> Narcar. Narcar. It reminds me of the, the character from the Amanda show. <laughs> Narcar. Uh. Oh my god. So, tracks that were built in the third generation were Richmond Raceway and the New Hampshire Motor Speedway. And that was in 1988 and 1990, respectively. Mm -hmm. And then on July the 4th of 1984, Richard Petty earns his 200th win in the Firecracker 400 at Daytona National International Speedway and setting a mark that has yet to be challenged. Nor That's will it because they only run 30 races a season unless they go back up to 50 races a season yeah that that's it unless you're an old man driving these yeah. race cars <laughs> unless unless somebody like jeff gordon comes out of retirement and then is just in there in a wheelchair like they have to build a specialty <laughs> ramp to just get them up like the side of like a like a you know handicap van just wait, into the car wait a 200 or like a a scooter that goes like how fast do those cars go? The two hundred. Two hundred <laughs> mile an hour, hour scooter. Mobility scooter. <laughs> oh. With a roll cage on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So that's pretty much all that happens in the third generation. We're going on. Zach, am I forgetting anything between eighty one and ninety one? Really when the sport starts to thrive. Like yeah. in this in this area or in this time frame, like really until like probably about you know the the scene decline in viewership since about two thousand seven two thousand six, um okay. and from this time until like until like two thousand seven two thousand six, this is when like 
it's on ESPN every day. It's, yeah. it's, it's the sport is thriving. Yeah, this is like peak. And this is, again, the time frame that Dale Earnhardt is starting to really get into his stride and start winning these um, championships. So, and he was popular. I think he was um, at one point ranked like third or fourth richest um, Mm -hmm. athletes at the time. I forgot what year. I think it was early Mm -hmm. 90s. But he was very popular. So that means the sport was very popular. So in as far as merch sales are concerned, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that he died over 20 years ago, he still is consistently in the top 15 of merchandise sales in NASCAR to this day. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It just feels right. (laughs) Well, and I feel like like just speaking from an advertise or like a capitalistic point of view one like it's super easy to make a merchandise mm-hmm. because you just have to make like a toy car and like have all the you know the sponsors and the number on it yeah. um but i mean they're all relatively the same shape so i'm sure you don't have to make like yeah all these different changes to the different models of the toys unless you're getting like really up there Mm -hmm. plus i mean i'm looking at this the number 28 car and all the different advertisers Mm -hmm. that are like slapped onto the car like that's money there yeah like you can't really do that with like other sports like yeah there's advertisers and they're like all over the stadiums but the like teams don't have like Mm -hmm. 50 different advertisers yeah like on their their jerseys or whatever well it's funny because the NBA and NHL and a couple other like major sports started selling space on their jerseys now. Only like one, mm-hmm. but like yeah, if you look up like a modern like NHL or NBA jersey, they they have just one little logo now. Wow! But yeah. not, like but, Nike, or yeah. Adidas. Or well, no, 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 not just the manufacturer. Like actual, like if I remember, um, oh. yeah, yeah. Like I think. Um, Hold on, I think like the the Nashville Predators were sponsored by like Comcast or something like on their They're, jerseys uh, a while back. Okay. Yeah, and and just but as far as advertising, you're exactly correct. Like all these, you can throw so much money, and it's just a blank billboard. It's just yeah. a giant billboard as a, of a car. Like yeah, I mean, like this has Texaco, Havoline, Krispy Kreme. Uh, it says stay in school. <laughs> it says stay in school. <laughs> it does. It does say stay in school. Yep. Um. Now the the smaller decals in front of the number are NASCAR like standard decals. Oh, so okay. like those are NASCAR sponsorships and like things that are in the car itself. So like you see Gatorade, Goodies, Bush, Winston, those are all NASCAR sponsored. But the team sponsors yeah. themselves you see towards the back Havoline, Krispy Kreme, Ford. I don't know what kind of a sponsor stay in school is, but you know, hey, um, it's there. Can we get a, can we get a Krispy Kreme sponsor? Krispy Kreme, sponsor the, Krispy podcast. Kreme. <laughs> Swap the podcast. Swap the podcast. Please. Go. I'm begging you. <laughs> I'll sell out for donuts. <laughs> okay, so fourth generation. Um, and this is a quote from the NASCAR website. It says, quote, by the generation four cars came into NASCAR, it was obvious that there was no longer anything stock about stock cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we did just talk about that. Um, but the car changes. And this was, again, mostly towards the end. The 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 big changes started happening after Dale's death was the um, safety 
things, but also the Gen 4 car bodies looked, um, still looked like production cars, but changed a little bit. Um, but they started, uh, they earned an unofficial nickname of like Twisted Sisters because the bodies were like stretched and bent for aerodynamics. So they were starting to get away from stock cars even more than they already had. And then, yeah, the Hans device was required, which was the head and neck systems, different seats and harnesses, safer walls at the track. Zach, can you elaborate on the safer walls? What did they change about them? Do you know? Uh, so they're called, they're called safer barriers. I was trying to find them. So safer okay. barrier walls, what they are, is effectively are a, they are two wall systems. So mm-hmm. I'm going to post a picture of it. Okay. So effectively what they are um, is instead of just having a wall, okay, you have two walls and there's a bunch of mesh and, and it almost looks like styrofoam between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this does is it gives the wall, for lack of a better word, give. So okay. when you hit it, the stuff behind it, actually the wall flexes and bends and reduces the impact that the cars actually take. That's very smart. So it yeah, it cushions it cushions the, it. Yeah. Yep. So imagine like a football helmet has padding in it, right? Between mm-hmm. the hard surface. Same sort of concept. Wow. Mm-hmm. That makes really it's still crazy to believe that it's just like chain link above that <laughs> as well. <laughs> I one of my stories involves that said chain link in a very scary incident with it. It's it's really. Ooh. Okay, I can't wait okay. to get to your stories, honestly. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, so also, every time that um, a car was wrecked, they would take that car and look it over and find the weak spot so they would know how to improve it going forward. Mm-hmm. And then the roof the roof flaps were a really big um, improvement, and that prevented the car, um, when it spun the the flaps on the roof go up and it would what cause some downforce and make sure the car doesn't mm-hmm. go airborne now the v- flaps only they realize that most cars go airborne whenever they're turned around backwards because they're so focused on downforce in the front that whenever the car went backwards it actually caused a lift effect uh-huh so when the cars would turn backwards they were more likely to start flipping up so they put roof flaps on the top that whenever the car ended up backwards air would go into the roof flap and then uh cause it to go straight up and it would cause more downforce if the car was backwards and prevent the car from flipping over genius yeah such a really simple, simple change yeah yep mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to take it's just the wind that opens them up it's not like anything mechanical or complicated it's just a simple thing yep um so now at this point i mean drivers can take like a 20 g hit and just get up and walk away oh from my- it which is incredible oh my god 20 g oh yeah, yeah. I have just posted uh, a picture of how the safer barrier works and how much of the worst impact that could have been because how much force holy goes into those walls. Shit. Yeah, he's fine. Ooh, wow. It's like rubber. Yeah. Wow. Um, so one source says that some drivers are actually more likely to put their car where it doesn't belong because they <laughs> yeah. know they can get away with it. <laughs> yeah, they're fine. <laughs> they're like, ah, it'll be all right. And like, since Dale's death, um, uh, you know, we said that no one has died. Literally, it's just like, they're worried about concussions at this point. That's it. Mm-hmm. Which is just incredible. So during the fourth generation, 
we see a lot of tracks popping up. And this is probably thanks to um, the momentum from the third generation coming in. So we see Homestead Miami Speedway was built in 95. Texas Motor Speedway and the Worldwide Technology Raceway was in 97. Las Vegas Motor Speedway in 98. Nashville Super Speedway in 2001. It was closed in 2011 and has reopened in 2021. Again, um, it is back on the schedule. Yep. The Kansas Super Speedway in 01 and the Iowa Speedway in 06. So in, on November 15th of 1992, one of the most significant races in NASCAR history was the 1992 season finale at the Atlanta Motor Speedway. This was Richard Petty's last race and Jeff Gordon's first in the NASCAR oh, wow. Premier Series competition. So five drivers were eligible to win the title as um, the race began. So I'm assuming, Zach, that you could have like uh, five because it's like a point thing at the end it of was, the cup. Yeah. At the time, that just means it was mathematically possible for five people to win the championship because there was no playoff system. So what you're saying is that is it possible for someone to win that last race and not win the cup or sorry to not win the that last race but win the cup absolutely that has happened more often than not wow at least now like in in you know now with the playoff system it's a little bit different but even still like you can have a final winner i remember uh thinking to myself at one point because the final finale is generally at least when i was uh in NASCAR is like, in my opinion, like whenever it was at its best, the season finale was always in Homestead, Miami. Yeah. And the winner of Homestead, Miami would often get overlooked. It's like, congrats, you won the race, but we're here to, end. but the person who won the championship would end up in victory lane and would be <laughs> celebrating. And the guy who won the race would just kind of be like, you know, an oh. afterthought. <laughs> oh man. Someone get that man a bottle of wine or something. Get the <laughs> right? on him too. Um, so in this race with the five eligible, um, winners, the driver owner, Alan Kulwicki, did I say that right, Zach? Alan Kulwicki. Yep. Alan Kulwicki, um, ends up leading one more lap than Bill Elliott to turn the five point bonus for leading the most laps and then when won the championship by 10 points. Is that a lot or is that just very little? That is a razor thin margin. Oh my god. Okay. That's nothing. <laughs> like like you're talking about one lap basically winning yeah. in the championship. Yeah. Also, I want to point out that a driver owner is not um uncommon in the sport. I know a lot of other sports they have owners and then they have players and they're two completely different entities. But here you could just own your own racing company and still be the driver. And I think that's really cool. Yep, uh, Tony Stewart did it for a long time, too, in the modern era. Yeah, and also Dale Earnhardt never raced for his own company. No, he never raced for his own company because uh, then the to- if he wrecked a car, the- it would come out of his pocket. <laughs> but- so it's best to just, you know, erase And we all knew he was playing fast and loose. Yeah, so, so, you know, it's better to have Dale Jr. and Michael Waltrip race for him. And then uh, he races for somebody else. I love that so much. Um, so on August 6th of 1994, the series schedule expanded to include 
the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and Jeff Gordon claimed that win in the first Brickyard 400. And then October 23rd of 1994, Dale Earnhardt joined Richard Petty as the second driver in series history to have seven NASCAR championships. In January of 2003, NASCAR unveils the NASCAR Research and Development Center in Concord, North Carolina. And in 2004, NASCAR begins its first season under the banner of Nextel, with the series becoming known as the NASCAR Nextel Cup. Is it mm-hmm. still that? It is not. Uh, they've gone through several sponsors since then. Um, right now, it's just called the Cup Series. Okay, cool. What's yep, Nextel? That they, Nextel was a cell phone company that was eventually bought out. Oh, got it. Wasn't bought out by like AT&T <laughs> I, or something? I believe so. Okay. Um, also, you notice the the Brickyard Four Hundred. Um, yes. You know the the Indianapolis. That is, it's called the Brickyard Four Hundred because originally Indianapolis Motor Speedway was paved with brick. What the it was, fuck? It was, it was just a brick racetrack. Yeah. Could you imagine racing on? I'm just imagining right. driving yeah. on a cobblestone road, and that's what I feel like it. The would be old like. Roman Rome, but yes. you're the NASCAR car. Go 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 go. I feel like that's so impractical. Yeah, it was made in like 1909. I don't think they knew any better, right? Oh, oh. They're just fucking that, about back then. They're just like, you know what? Bricks. Yep, perfect. Bricks. Brick is, we made it. It looks pretty. Wait, that's why they had the hot air balloon. They had to finish laying all the bricks. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, guys, we need a distraction. <laughs> Nobody pay attention down here. Look to the skies. Um <laughs> Okay, so fifth generation, 2007 to 2012. The car changes, um, and Zach and I were talking about this yesterday. Um, the least <laughs> favorite car. It's so ugly. It's um, <laughs> called the Car of Tomorrow, or the COT. And car was, never should have been made. <laughs> it was only run for 16 races, while the following 20 races were raced in the Gen 4 cars, because everyone hated them so much. They're like, we're not fucking racing these cars. And these cars, um, you have here the 48 Lowe's car. Is that the, the hated No, car? no, no, the 5. 5. Car Quest car. 5. Yes. Okay, yep. that's the one I was looking it at. It is a monstrosity. It is that the spoiler is massive. They have this weird underplate thing in front of the car. It doesn't even look like a real car at this point. It's just kind of like a toy. Yeah, it looks like something that like a a seven year old like came up with in his bedroom. It's just like you know, hey, it's like (laughs) all right, all right, Jimmy, I want you to design the next NASCAR car, and he just draws a a massive wing on the back, like because he watched because he watched all the Need for Speed game or played all the Need for Speed games (laughs) and watched like the Fast and Furious movies. He's like family, and then just draws this thing. <laughs> um, there were um significant safety advancements, but at what cost? The the fans hated it so much that they started to stop watching the races. They're like, we're not watching this shit. <laughs> the ones that they would be on, the viewership just tanked. Yeah. Then the twenty races that they were not That's on, hilarious. the viewership was just fine. Yeah. Is it just me, or do the headlights look like actual peel and stick stickers? They are. But, yeah, why? They are. NASCAR cars do not have headlights. But why would they put stickers on to make it look like headlights? Because if you didn't have stickers on the front of that car that made it look like headlights, like if they go back up to the 28, and if it just looked like that, it would be even worse. It looks awkward. Yeah. It just already looks awkward, and it's just kind of like, eh. 
Yeah. Um, also, the winner of the first COT race was at Bristol Motor Speedway yep. in 2007, and Kyle Busch won that. And he said... He he was, like, complaining about the handling of the car after he won the race. He's like, this is shit. I hate this car. <laughs> I, I know I won, but I hate he it. He was victory lane. You know, people are spraying champagne all over him. And he's just like, this thing sucks. Yeah, <laughs> fuck this car. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they it didn't last very long. They were like, we're going back to the old cars. There were no tracks built during this generation. And on May 29th of 2010, the inaugural NASCAR Hall of Fame class was inducted in Charlotte, North Carolina. Bill France Sr., Bill France Jr., Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt, and Junior Johnson were all included in that first round of Hall of Famers. Anything to add to these shit cars, Zach? Um, I'm glad they didn't last very long. Yeah. Uh, one of the videos that... Um, I was watching. They said, well, the car of tomorrow didn't go quite as we had planned. Um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, no shit. And that's putting it lightly. The car of tomorrow, I think, you know, this is about the time when I told you that viewership started to really, like, take yeah. a little bit of a downturn. And this is directly linked to it. Is this, I know you were talking about the different point systems. Is this about the time that the different point systems started to come into effect? Yeah, they started, they started changing a lot of things. Um, so... It, it it's kind of in this year. This is whenever the next the Nextel sponsorship also came in with the Nextel Cup, which was the playoff system. Mm-hmm. Um, so where it was like you would race, let's say thirty six races, you'd race twenty six of them, and then the last ten races were like playoffs, where they would just everybody who was first through tenth. This is the simple format of it at the very beginning. Everyone who was first with tenth would be clumped with basically the same amount of points, except for like the person who was in first had like five more. And it was given a little bit of an advantage. And then the last 10 races, nobody else could not win. the. Everybody else could not win the championship. It was only those 10, 10 people. And then after that, only those 10 uh, drivers could win the championship. They would they would just basically run their own mini season within the season. Well, that's really weird. They still race at the same time as everyone else. It's not like they just got their own track day. It, they at raced at the same time as everybody else, but they would just have like a NASCAR effectively was trying to vie for a playoff kind of format because playoffs bring in viewership in other sports. I don't, so the, I don't know if I like that because I feel like that no, doesn't give other drivers the opportunity for last minute heroics. No, like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And nobody, nobody really likes it. It's just been bad decisions. But, uh, uh but I mean, at, at, I can see where they're coming from it because like, you know, I'm a big NHL fan, and there's nothing better than playoff hockey. Yeah. But they wanted to give that kind of, like, feel to it. But Like the, like the suspense. Right, right, right. And, like, if they grouped everyone back up together, then they would, you know, then in theory, then, like, it would be a more dramatic last ten races of uh, the season. Yeah. But in reality, what you've done is you've taken um, a, lot of, a lot of drivers who have just been super performing all season and then just ruin their chances of winning a championship. Yeah. And like what even motivates them to participate in the race in general, if there's no possibility that they could win. Right. I mean, so one 2004 is a good example of this. Um, Dylan Hart jr. Won six races 
Mm-hmm. And if it were going by the old point system, he would have won the championship by over 200 points. But because the new point system happened, um, Jimmy Johnson ended up winning one of his championships because he he just outperformed Dell Jr. in the last 10 races. But the first 26 races, Dell Jr. had won like six of the races. It was it was crazy. That's well, I can definitely good. see how that would add more suspense, but it still doesn't really mm-hmm. make sense. Also, another another. It's not like okay, so in like in playoffs, in like NHL playoffs or football playoffs, you're playing the same game, but yeah. tracks are very different in NASCAR. Yeah. So the last ten races, and this is how Jimmy Johnson won a lot of his championships. The last ten races, I think at the time. They've changed up the order, but at the time, like eight of them were just mile and a half uh, tracks, which Jimmy Johnson is very good at. Yeah. Like Atlanta, Texas, Charlotte, those three kinds of tracks. Um, so if you were just if you just squeaked into tenth and you were really good at the last ten races of the season, you could win a championship just by barely getting in. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like yeah. that. Those rules translate very well into. NASCAR. No, it's a no. It shouldn't. It shouldn't translate well in the NASCAR. No. And then, but what they've done since then is just continue to sort of make it work, mm-hmm. which doesn't work, I guess. No, you shouldn't <laughs> force it. Correct. You shouldn't force it. At least in my opinion. I mean, some people yeah. like it, but they've even gone even further now. Races are divided into three parts called stages, but we'll get oh. into that. <laughs> God bless it. Yeah. Okay, sixth generation, which is twenty thirteen to 2021 um so more modern times so the car changes which i found this really interesting that chevy toyota and ford actually got together to help design the sixth gen car yeah it might be good to ask the car manufacturers to design a car (laughs) instead of doing what they did before but yeah um i just thought it was really interesting that they worked together on it instead of just being like no like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna do my own shit. Um, well, but, I think they had to salvage it after the car tomorrow. Oh, they had to. If they were like, yeah. oh my god. <laughs> so this resulted in better safety features and cars that actually once again looked like their production counterparts. So you could go to the car lot and look at the car and then look at NASCAR and be like, yep, those are the same kind of car. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. they're not the same, but they're they're the same style. Um, so. This is this, this one is a lot more yeah visually appealing yeah for sure much yeah, the like the so it's got like a much taller or smaller spoiler and it uh, it any sorry no no go ahead it it doesn't yeah it looks like it doesn't look stupid so <laughs> basically this, basically so this is when um the arms race really got going where prices on these car parts started to become super astronomical like one of the um one of the sources said that like an upper control arm would cost like $3800 and i don't really have a reference for that so i looked up what like a 2024 chevelle upper control arm would be and they're only like $800 for like a regular wow. car so insane um, up pricing on things like that every piece was like custom made to give like the slightest edge and um it made for great viewing because you know the car started looking better again and it made things more fun for the fan but 
it was making it to where other people didn't have access to other things. So it was basically just like if you had very, the most money, you were gonna win. They were they it's were very the cost cars, prohibitive. The yeah. cars were also getting a lot faster too. You see the thing with the spoilers, they were trying to like the COT they were trying to slow down the cars a little bit. But that that's counterproductive. That's yeah. not how the sport works. No. <laughs> um so like, you know, they were more aerodynamic, they handled better, they weren't as clunky, they were faster, it just it, it was a better viewing experience. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. Um they did uh build a couple more tracks during this time, and that's the Circuits of America and the Chicago Street Course, which are both that aren't just left turns. They are they're more squiggly. They 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 are they're called road courses in, in yeah. NASCAR, but every other racing series just calls them a track because you know they don't just do left hand turns. Yeah. Um. But for these heavier cars to be running around road courses is is quite an accomplishment because of how you know they weigh as much as your you know standard car out there. They're yeah. heavy. They're big. They're they're you know it's it's hard to get them going fast on that. But they're the most the most fun races to watch are the super speedways like Talladega and Daytona and the road courses. Yeah. Road courses are a blast to watch. I love, um, I know Nick and I were talking the other day about like the Grand Prix and then that, uh, w- just NASCAR decided we're, we're just going to race in the Grand Prix. Oh, Le Mans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what put I meant. one yeah. in Le Mans. Yep. Yeah. And it's the funniest picture I've ever seen in my life. And it was like, can you pick out the American? And it's all these nice, <laughs> slick, like beautiful, low profile light cars. And then America, mm. big old muscle car just in the and, middle. And, you know, what's crazy is they were faster than like three of the manufacturers in the Le Mans yeah. like, car. They were, they had a better car because they just changed a couple of things. There's this whole video about it, but they just, they improved the downforce. They changed a couple of things. And all of a sudden they were just outpacing yeah. Ferrari. And it's just like, what? <laughs> Nick listened to an interview with some of the, like the people that were there, the, the fans and they were like yeah because this this race lasts a long ass time 24 24 hours 24 hours and he's they were like yeah it was really easy to like stay awake because every you know couple minutes we had like an american alarm clock (laughs) blaring past our heads (laughs) wake us up (laughs) so i just looked up pictures from the the le mans race and it is very funny yeah Because like all of the the European cars, they're um they have that very iconic mm-hmm. like European design where it's like um they're very swoopy, almost like bug shaped. Yeah, it's like very swoopy, bug shaped. Um, mm-hmm. like higher on the wheel wells, really low to the ground, <laughs> you know. And then this this Chevy massive <laughs> Chevrolet ZL1 Camaro just barreling down. And you know it's so, the loudest so thing out there. They. The, so here's God. the thing. Um, they had to. This is the only thing I'll get too much into Le Mans. But the 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 thing about this car is it's put in under the experimental entry uh mm-hmm. slot, which is just like you know, it's just like you're not actually competing for first place. You're not. You can't actually mm-hmm. win the Le Mans, right? But you know, you're there to just like you know do something cool. They just want to see what it could do. Right. Right. So right, the yeah. general idea is, um, there are the supercar kind of Le Mans cars which are the bug shaped ones then there's mm-hmm. the manufacturer cars which are just they they actually look like ferraris and yeah. you know they're just like the, whatever they can do but the the experimental entry always starts in the bag no matter where it qualifies right right except for they made an exception this time because the car was so fast um that they put it between those two groups 
because they were afraid that it was too fast and it could cause wrecks passing every other one of like the Ferrari and the um <laughs> the Ferrari and the the, the, the Nissans and, and everything else. They were worried that it was too fast for them and it would cause a wreck. Oh so they actually changed the rule for this car in the qualifying and let it start just in the middle of all of them. And then it just started passing super GT cars and, and just blowing by them. What it ended up being like one of the top cars, didn't it? I mean, it was, it was like the third or fourth fastest car in the field, but um, wow. it couldn't win anything. It right. couldn't win, unfortunately, yeah. but yeah. it's just, you know, it, it was just very, very fast. You know what? I bet it hurt a lot of butts out there. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people butt heard about it. You know, because because like the, the snooty European oh, people yeah. are like, mm, it's this American, American. It just blow it blows by their Lamborghini, and they're like, hold up, wait <laughs> a minute, screaming the whole time, just, <laughs> yeah, like an American does, just yeah. screams. <laughs> Should have put like an American eagle, like call at the side. Wait, wait, where's the monkey to wave at them at the drive by? Come on. Talk Taco <laughs> Flaco in this thing. <laughs> Distract all the drivers. Lamont would lose. The Fritch would just have a time. They would just be so mad. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> that warms my heart. We love you, France, but y'all do be looking down on us a lot. So. It, it's just the fact that Lamont, it's in France. Yeah. 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 Right. So, uh,. Back back to 2013. So February 17th, Danica Patrick makes history um, by winning the Bush Pole Award for um, the 2013 da- Daytona 500, becoming the first female to win a pole in NASCAR Premier Series history. What's a pole? Uh, it's where you qualify first. Got it. Hey, so she had the pa- yeah. Damn. Good for her. She wrecked. Good for her. She, Good for Danica. I'm pretty sure she wrecked in that race. Well, that sucks. Oh, damn. Yeah. Um, so January 30th of 2014, um, the chairman, Brian France, another family member, announces uh, the championship format change. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, what we just talked about. Yep. Guaranteeing the birth of the NASCAR playoffs. Um, key changes among them is the championship four finale, where the highest finisher among the four eligible drivers at Homestead Miami Speedway would be crowned mm-hmm. champion. Mm-hmm. Um, so on November 20th of 2016, Jimmy Johnson makes history with his record tying seventh NASCAR premier series title. So he is also up there in the seven, seven wins. Um, joining, of course, Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt. Mm-hmm. December the 1st of 2016, um, NASCAR and Monster Energy announced that... Um, a multi-year agreement for the premier series as well as uh the nascar all-star race so monster energy began its tenure in 2017 and is the only the third company to serve as the entitlement sponsor for nascar so typically it's just like we're calling it nascar but they were the only the third to have their name on something like that so in 2017, they introduced the three-stage format, like Zach had mentioned earlier. And what exactly is the three-stage? Is it just like sections? Yeah, yeah. So basically, it's three races within the race. So what will happen is, uh, let's say that they're, the race is 300. This is just a very oversimplifying way of doing it. Okay. Um, 
So let's say that race is 300 laps long. The first section, the first stage will be 150 laps. Second mm-hmm. stage will be 100 laps. Third stage will be 50 laps. Uh, bonus points are awarded in the point system to people who win each one of the stages. After a stage is over, they throw a caution flag, group everyone back up together, and then they start again. It's to keep the idea is that it keeps the race it keeps one car from just like blowing out everyone and just winning outright because let's say that like you know kyle bush has the best car by far and gets to a point where on these mile and a half tracks uh, a lot of it comes down to fuel management Mm -hmm. because there's not a lot of wrecks um a lot of it comes down to speed and fuel management it just keeps races from being effectively what is like the equivalent of dead air oh yeah so yeah. so they they wanted to group them back up and and have it to where there's there's actually racing for something not just at the very end. So mm-hmm. like if you can get those bonus points, you know, you have a shot at the playoffs if you win like two of the stages. Okay. Yep. It just complicates things. I don't it does complicate things. And like the the beauty of what NASCAR was in like the Dale Earnhardt era was simplicity. Yeah. But now it's like kind of you have to have like a a full-on flow chart to keep up with it. Yeah, and like a strategy, well, and, too. Yeah, there's a lot of strategy well, to it. And I think what... I don't know. This is just kind of my guess that um, the higher-ups are like trying to figure out ways to like keep audiences engaged. Yes. Because um, that's how you make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. So, um, trying to come up with different ways to keep the sport interesting to keep you know viewers engaged and people coming to attend and like competing with other different sports mm-hmm. that aren't just sitting watching cars yeah. race mm-hmm. cuz especially cuz it is a lot safer like you know i'm sure thankfully it is safer yeah. but with fewer wrecks there's fewer things to like watch for yeah. you know what right. i mean right so it's like hockey it's just a way you're looking I... for fights yeah <laughs> The, the, my, my, I, I have them under this personal opinion that I think that they got rid of the playoff system, but just kept the stage racing. I would love it. See, and like the stage racing doesn't really sound no, bad. That, that no, doesn't sound bad at all. No, I, it, it, it makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. The playoffs doesn't make sense to me. No. And this is someone with, I don't know if I've ever sat down and watched a full NASCAR race before. So right. that's just from a very outside yeah, that, perspective. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was more into NASCAR in the video game version, Zach, growing up. I'm oh, you, still... could do that in, you could do that in person now, too. Yeah. Listen, I'm still on the high from spinning you out on that last lap, that one time I beat you fair and square. <laughs> still on fair the high. Fair and square. Spun you out on the last lap. Fair and square. 20 years hey, later, I'm like, Dale, I beat that, you once. <laughs> I, swear that's a, I swear that's a Dale Earnhardt quote. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you. I was drafting you, and then I bumpin's racing, Zach. Get over okay, it. Okay, okay. <laughs> but, but there is. I don't know if Morgan knows about this because of the how it works. Um, or just because you know you never sat down and watched NASCAR. There is a driver, his name is Ross Chastain, and he decided that he really needed to stay in this video or this uh this uh playoff bracket, right? Mm-hmm. So they're at Martinsville. We mentioned that track earlier. Uh-huh. And he's like, you know what? Screw it. It's the last lap. I have nothing to lose and I need to stay in this championship hunt. 
and he just does a video game. He takes his car, and because these cars are so safe, just hits the gas and rides the entire outside wall of Martinsville Speedway and passes like six cars in one corner to stay alive in the playoffs. I mean, he is, his car is touching the wall and he's flooring it. His wall, his car is scraping the wall and he's just passing person after person after person on the outside. And it's everyone he, who's passing him, they like showed a clip of their like reaction. They're like, what the fuck? Okay, okay. I just, I just linked, I actually just linked it in the thing. You just need to look at this one clip because it is the craziest thing i have ever seen in a nascar race this just okay and the, the his exact shit. quote after the after the uh after the the race was i remember doing it on the gamecube a couple of times and i just thought it might work in real life now all right i'm watching it now and you see like the very beginning of the video is, is the the fedex yeah the... yeah he's just like what's going on he knocked out denny hamlin doing this but <laughs> like of the playoffs but you can see his pickers like really super accelerated. Okay, so I see Chastain. Okay, his car is all messed up. Yes. Remember, the race is over. Somebody's won, but everybody cannot believe that this just happened, and they're focusing on him. Just they'll show a replay in a second. But okay, okay, I think it's about to play. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, what did he have to lose? Nothing. This is this was from the perspective of you see how everyone's like breaking and down, going down yeah. here. Now, oh shit! Now watch him just. So <laughs> he just goes. Oh my god! And I mean, he's like surrounded on all four sides of this car, and like at the very end, like five cars at once, and just blows by him. <laughs> that is crazy. The 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 just the absolute just. Nah, the balls on this guy just just just, 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 just i'm just watching like the smoke like come it doesn't even look real it does look like a video game for those for just just google or youtube search ross chastain ross uh chastain's video game move uh that at martinsville we'll have it's to just, it's just, link it in our show yeah absolutely. Show, link it the show link it the show notes that's perfect oh my god yes all right Thank you for showing me that. That's just that's just how do you it just he's like, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> that that is the most fuck it I've ever seen in my yeah. life. <laughs> I mean, what's the worst that could happen? He not win? I mean uh, whatever. He didn't win, but like fuck it. He so, got to the championship four. He did? Yep. Yeah. He did. Yep. Um so in April twenty seventh of twenty eighteen, NASCAR makes a move designed to like take you back to the old days. So they announced that they purchased the automobile racing club of America or the ARCA ARCA. They, they have a lot of history between the two, but they, they just kind of like, they're doing it kind of the old school way more in, I believe the Midwest area, Midwest, some Southern tracks, Milwaukee mile, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so more recently, the series has provided a valuable platform for drivers looking to get into NASCAR. It's kind of like a stepping stone if they want to be seen, I guess. Okay. Jim France, another family member, 
he joined the ISC in 1959, but he, in 2018, assumed the role of the NASCAR chairman and CEO. Is he still the CEO? I believe he is, yes. Okay. Um, and he, a little bit about him, he was elected in the ISC board in 1970, served as the company's um, secretary, assistant treasurer, vice president, chief operating officer, Chief Operating Officer, Executive Vice President, and President. So he did work his way up through the ranks. He grew up in the early years of the stock car. Mm -hmm. And he is the son of Bill France Sr., the founder of NASCAR. So, seventh generation, 2022 to current times. We are in the seventh generation. Now, the cars that we're looking at now... Honestly, they're cool as shit. I ain't gonna lie. They look really good. They're that number eight car that I posted in there. Yes. Okay. They look, they're, they're, that's a Camaro. Like, it just, you look at it. That's you, a Camaro? You look at yeah. the very front, that's a Camaro. That's a Camaro. Yeah. Yeah. And so they were taking a step back and trying to make them look as close to street cars as they could. Um, their wheel, Their wheels are larger. They have lower profile. Things like... That I don't quite understand. They don't have a trunk. No. (laughs) Um, Transaxle, so they don't have a transmission. Do you know what that means, Zach? Uh, Yeah, they just, they're kind of automatic now. If they don't have a transmission, they're just transaxle, they just go. Got it. Okay. Um, So they don't have to, like, shift gears or anything. They just go. Zoom. To go fast as fuck, boy. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's from my understanding is there's not yeah. a manual thing. Dale Earnhardt could have broke his leg and been fine in this generation. Yeah. I mean, more fine he, than he so, was. More fine. He was still fine. <laughs> I guess what I'm confused about, and maybe this is just because I don't really know how cars work. Like, because to get up to speed, cars have to like shift gears to like get up to the RPM allowed for those speeds. So I guess and, like the this generation bypasses that. Uh, just think of it as like a sort of an automatic transmission. So, yeah. But like cars still have to switch. Yeah, they, mm-hmm. change they just gears, do it on their own instead of you doing it. But like my car still has a transmission. Yes. I don't see. You know, it's an automatic. See, that's why I'm like. I... So a transaxle is a single. Let me just. I, I want to make sure I was correct here. Uh, so a transaxle is, is a transmission axle and differential house in one unit. So it's one specific unit thing. Instead of having okay. three different things doing three different things, you have it's one just thing one doing thing, three different things. One, one thing does it all. Got it. Okay. Yep. Got it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess if it's a race car, you only need it to do yeah. one thing, and that's go fast. Yeah. yeah it's just, just like, <laughs> let's get it into gear, and we just zoom. Right. Okay. So what um, what the source that I found said was that this this new car somehow doesn't... Um, it, it's less of like an arms race. I guess it's the, the parts of it are more accessible to everybody and you can, you just have to drive better. Just uh-huh. be better. <laughs> just, just, get, just good. get good. Damn. I don't know exactly how yeah, that works, but just yeah, get good. It's allowed a lot of, uh, drivers that aren't just, you know, have the most money to be able to do well. Right. It's more accessible. Exactly. And that's what I like. I want I want to see your talent. I don't want to see how much money you threw at this car to make it fast. I know that that helps, but like be good. Are are mm-hmm. you a good driver or do you have a good car? Like I want you to be a good driver. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. thanks. Yep. Um no tracks have been built of 
late, as of late, of recently. Um, and February 6th, 2022, after, of course, an initial delay thanks to COVID, Ugh. next gen car officially takes to the track for the first time. And yeah, so, so that's where we're at. Now, Zach, what do you think? Well, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, Zach. What do you think the future holds for NASCAR? I know that we talked, we mentioned a little bit about fans being able to like drive simulators and race mm-hmm. along with them, which I think is fucking awesome. Yeah, iRacing. I have, I have some friends who are in iRacing. Yeah, so like while the race is happening, you can like be on the track with them, like virtually. So it's like it's like a you know like the red zone stuff where you just like NFL and you're on different channels. So yeah, there's stu- there's stuff like that like channel specific that you're just in the car with them and like their like their helmets and uh visuals and stuff like that. It's really yeah. cool. It's super but cool. also there's there's it's fan accessibility is crazy because there is like iRacing, which is just online racing that like actual it's so accurate that actual NASCAR drivers use it to practice. Isn't there like a movie that just came out about that? Yeah, or? Gran Turismo. Oh, yep. really? Yeah, just came out. Watch it. It's really good. <laughs> Emily doesn't know shit. About <laughs> I'll never I'll never watch it. I'm sorry. Um, I want to tell you I will, but I won't. <laughs> but yeah, so so iRacing is so accurate that like, you know, NASCAR drivers use it to yeah. practice, and they I'm sure it's a lot cheaper. Yeah, well, than... you know, then uh, they they use it all, uh, and there's so much more integration. Like that's the thing. Like you for the future, you have to find a way to engage a younger audience. Yeah, and that's every sport, every yeah. single sport yeah. that has to has to do that. Yeah. Um, and I think. I think that the the honest conclusion is that eventually all cars will go electric because they yeah. have to. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. Eventually, the only problem is yeah. the problem is that you have to find a way because we've talked about this multiple times. The quote from Le Mans is it's like having a big giant American alarm clock waking you up every like like there's such a trademark of how loud mm-hmm. they are and how how you know muscly that they are that you have to keep that going. Um. And then I think that eventually, eventually, um, mm-hmm. they will probably get rid of the playoff format because it is caused since, I mean, you could just look at the viewership since then. Yeah. It's, it's dropped. Yeah. Um, but they have to replace it with something like, you know, I like the knockout round, like going into the final four. I kind of like that better than the standard playoffs. Okay. But it does make the final races a little bit more exciting. But yeah. I just don't like the playoff format as a whole. Stage racing is good. I like it. But yeah. Other than that, yeah, it, you have to you have to find a way to keep them engaged. Yeah, uh, well, and and that's um, easier and harder to do because we are so tuned in to like social media and online mm-hmm. presence is. Um, it's it's easier to get it out there, but you have to find a way that would make them want to do it. Right. Imagine so. a driver just whipping out a phone and sending a tweet in the middle of the race. <laughs> They pass the mic for first place. They just pull out their phone like, LOL, losers. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into some of the three more of the top drivers in NASCAR. So, of course, Richard Petty. I think it's funny that Richard Petty, in one of the videos I watched, he quoted, he's like, who knows what the future holds? We might be racing to the moon next. I don't know. Like, <laughs> and he was also like, I didn't care if it was a dirt track or a track or just a the beach or whatever. I just liked racing. I'll race on anything. 
Yep. Um, he was just out there winning. So he did finish his career of 200 wins, and he had 1,184 starts. He is one of only three drivers to have a 27-race win in one season. And he is Damn. the king, is what they mm-hmm. called him. So we've got Jeff Gordon. Um, he finished his career with 93 wins in 805 starts. Uh, four Cup Series championship wins. So 95, 97, 98, and 2001. And the, Zach, you might be able to make this make sense. He led 24,936 laps in his Cup mm-hmm. Series career. Yep. So he was in first for that many laps in yes. his career. Yes. Damn. 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 Um, so that ranks him fifth best of all time. And that's, he only raced when there was like 30-ish races a season instead of like 50. And he's still like fifth yeah. best all time. And there's So you're talking about like, other drivers having, yeah, you know, 20 more races a year almost. And he still got to fifth. Like he was up front a lot. Yeah. And, like, I remember hearing Jeff Gordon's name. And, again, like, especially when I was a kid, I did not have an attention span for watching NASCAR races. But I knew who Jeff Gordon yeah. was yeah. <laughs> as a kid. Yep. Well, and even Jimmy Johnson. I'm very familiar with Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon, mm-hmm. Richard Petty, all those names. I was like, oh, well, I know all these people and I don't actually watch NASCAR um, so that's saying something that these names are reaching the people that don't actually watch NASCAR. Mm-hmm. They're they're Southern culture, basically. <laughs> they're just ingrained in you. Um, it's like Peyton Manning. Everyone yeah. knows who Peyton Manning is. So right. Jimmy Johnson also he's a seven time um, champion, including five in a row. He won five years in a row. Yep, that was it. Was it was um, part of his. Not diminishing at any time, it's a crazy accomplishment, but it was part of the, the playoff system where he was really good at those last 10 yeah. tracks. So it was just, you know. Yeah. Um. So he's won Daytona 500 twice. Twice, yep. Finished uh, 83 wins in 686 starts. It's about the same rate at Dale Earnhardt. Remember, he was 676 yeah. in yeah. Uh, 676. Or 676 uh, in 676. Close and- to the same rate. The, uh, he was the first ballot inductee in the NASCAR Hall of Fame in 2023. So he was so the first person. Even, uh, yeah, they. No, he's the first. They didn't have to think about it twice. A first, yeah. a first ballot is he was. It was the first time he was eligible to be in the Hall of Fame. Wow. Not that he was in the first class. So it's like, hey, this year Jimmy Johnson could be inducted in the Hall of Fame, and they're like, yep, yep. no question that. I think they said that he got like 93 percent of the votes. Yeah. In that year, and um, wow. What's interesting is I've put these in order. So by a source that I found, it was like the top 10 racers of all time. So Dale Earnhardt's life was cut drastically short. Um, So we've got Richard Petty in fourth, Jeff Gordon in third, Dale in second. And he's been passed for 20 years. And then Jimmy Johnson is the only one to bypass Dale in in what this source said stats-wise. So you can you can make a case for any of these four. You could probably add one or two. Maybe take yeah. just the fact that Jeff Gordon led that many laps in in his career, which wasn't yeah. even like you know. Think about it. he started he started eight hundred starts, which was you know 
Yeah. 800 starts, which was almost like, what, 480 less than Richard Petty and was yeah. still fifth best all time in laps. He was very good. You could put these in almost any order and right. you could make a logical argument for any right. of them being the GOAT. You yeah. Know, the best of all time. I figured, I figured with me just finding one source, I was like, I'm sure that th- there's some like personal bias for whoever's writing this. So I'm just going to say them all. Mm. But I just think it's really interesting that all these names, you just know who they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so just just some funny quotes because quotes are funny. Um, Chad Noss um, said to Jimmy Johnson during the final race of the 2006 chase, quote, drive it like you stole it, homie. <laughs> Um. <laughs> <laughs> chat, chat. Okay, so a lot of people, Jimmy Johnson context. Chad Knauss was the his um oh his crew chief. Okay. Oh, yeah, Knauss, oh Knauss. got it. Knauss. He Thank was you. he was his he was his crew chief, right? Yeah. And Jimmy Johnson was uh was fined a few times for um let's just say taking liberties with the rules <laughs> within the car, and that was a Chad Knauss thing because he was like you know. They didn't say that this material had to be made out of metal. Let's make it with hard plastic and make the car a little bit lighter. Oh, my God. You know, things like that, like to where you would just give them a slight. Well, I mean, the, the, the a famous quote, you're not cheating, you're not trying. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's seriously <laughs> that's seriously a mentality within NASCAR. So he yeah. they could make Jack and House could make a car that was just like average, just be exceptional. Um, And he was he's credited for a lot of Jimmy Johnson's success. Of just like, yeah. hey, you know, this. If you've got the best engineers and mechanics, you're gonna have a lot. You're gonna be at least set up for your talent to shine. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's hilarious. Yep. Um, Buddy Baker once said, "Quote: He <laughs> ran out of talent about halfway <laughs> through the corner." This is a good one. We'll <laughs> <laughs> like, just get good. Yep. Um, Dale Earnhardt said. In what other sport do you get a 15-second break every hour? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh, Bill France um, was asked why there were so many deaths in auto racing and why they were six times more common than football. And he said, quote, we go six times faster. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, Dale Earnhardt said, quote, you win some, you lose some, and you wreck some. Dale said... Uh, his crew chief was telling him that he needed to conserve his tires. And Dale said, well, I'll apologize to them after they get me up to the front. (laughs) (laughs) And to conclude the episode, um, Ernest Hemingway was quoted saying, auto racing, bullfighting, and mountain climbing are the only real sports. All others are games. Thank Ernest you. Hemingway. Thank Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway said that, yeah. Didn't know that uh, Ernest Hemingway was such a uh, fan of racing. He's a fan. He's a fan. For sure. Of bullfighting and mountain climbing as well. But uh, Yeah, you yeah, know, racing. You know, racing. So, yeah. I, I guess I didn't think about him being a lot, like, alive. Because I know, I know he was alive during automobiles, but I guess... I don't know. He died in 1961, so he was definitely around for oh the God. early years of. Wait, didn't he live in Key West? Yeah. So he was probably just going to Daytona and watching those races. I'm sorry. Well, he can, he died in uh, Indiana. Can you imagine Ernest Hemingway just being just at a modern NASCAR race and everyone's like, yee Like, <laughs> a modern NASCAR race would kill a small Victorian child. 
It would. Oh my god, it would. <laughs> Just the um, sound vibrations alone would liquefy their insides. <laughs> All right, I need. I need to tell. I need to tell the people. Tell your stories. Uh, two yes. two stories tell, about tell about us. my going to NASCAR. All right, so 2010. Um, this was a um, my first like real fun story about going to a NASCAR race. Uh, our parents, my Emily's parents, met uh, a friend, and he was a spotter. So what spotters do is they stand on top of the um, grandstands and they communicate via radio to the drivers. It's like, hey, you got you know a car coming up on your left, on your right, you know stuff like that. Let because with the Hans devices, you can't really move your head back and forth to look at where they're right. going. Mm-hmm. And that kind of would defeat the purpose. Exactly. Yeah. So so <clears throat> so we meet this guy who will be unnamed because of the story. Um. We meet, we meet him, and and you know I get to go to Daytona for the he he's like, hey, I can get you some spotter passes. You can hang out out up there at the very top with me during you know the the Bush Series race, which is like the the next right below the Cup Series race. Um, as an odd format during that, that is, was Danica Patrick's first year in the Bush Series, so okay. I got to see her first race. Awesome. But it was really before the race that was like the interesting story. I have a spotter pass around my neck, and and. and with poor innocent quote-unquote 18 year old zach um was was thinking to himself huh i wonder what i can get away with with this thing oh my god (laughs) so at one point like he's got to go do his thing i'm just there with him and i'm like okay what i wonder i'm gonna walk around in the infield because you know you could get in there and let's just you know just walk around and you know see talk to people whatever and I walk up to where, you know, I'm wearing Dale Earnhardt Jr. stuff, and I have a spotter pass on. And people think that I'm Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s spotter. <laughs> like, like, three separate people ask me, they're like, are you Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s spotter? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I'm just lying to these people. Um, but, but regardless, um, I'm just like, yeah. Because I'm like, sure, whatever. They'll, they'll, that's a story that they're going to tell the rest of their lives. Right. Unless they hear this podcast and they're like, that motherfucker lied to me. <laughs> that guy in 2010 was a liar. I was 18. I had long hair. There's no reason you should have believed me. Anyway. All right. So so we go to, so we, so I go and I'm just, I walk up and there's a little, little gated area or a little fenced area with like a rope thinking, you know, fans can't go yeah. past this point. So I walk up. There's a NASCAR official standing there. And I walk up, and I just look at him. I kind of show him my pass, and I walk past the gate. <laughs> oh, my God! And I just walk through into this now. Like, what I learned was was you were not supposed to be there, unless you were part of the teams. Um, Into, like, the garage area, where they actually keep the cars and where all the drivers are and stuff. Oh, my God. So I just walk in. And I'm just like, you know, just kind of show him my pass. He nods at me, and I go. <laughs> That's all it was. And I walk through, and I'm walking around, and then I realize after about 20 minutes, I'm just kind of aimlessly walking, and I have no idea where I'm going. I don't look like I have a purpose. I'm looking like someone who doesn't belong. And NASCAR officials are just, and, like, drivers, and, like, I recognize a few of them. This is before the, it wasn't like there was any, like, you know, this was, this was before the Bush Series race. It wasn't right. before the Cup Series race. But there were still Cup drivers there. Like, like I saw Tony Stewart. I saw a couple of people. But, like, I immediately recognized Danica Patrick. I saw her. Um... I was like, you know, I was just walking around and I was just like, I need to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, I need to leave because I look like I don't belong. 
Because, like, I'm wearing standard, like, fan merchandise, not, like, team official merchandise. Right, right. So they're just like, what's this jackass doing in here? <laughs> oh, so I'm just, I, so I just leave, and I, 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 I get away with it. There's nothing, whatever. Um, Dan kept, uh, it ended up that there was, like, a big wreck at the end of that race, and there was, like, you know, a few cars, like, flipped over, Dan Badger got wrecked, it was great. <clears throat> well, great as in, it was a good race to watch. Right. But, so the next day was the Daytona 500, and Daytona at this point is old. That's the same pavement that they used to pave it in 1959. Oh my god! Or 57, whichever year it was. Same pavement. So we're we're watching this race, and just driving around. I'm, I don't get to watch it from the Sparta stand. That was another thing. That is the most crowded I've ever been in my life. Was in the hallway oh, sh- waiting oh. for the waiting to get into the spotters because they built it in 1959 thinking that there was going to be like 30 teams max and now there's just so many people. It was just yeah. in a room, just a crowded room, and the guy who shall not be named was just like kids with me. And then the NASCAR official was like, "Okay," and just <laughs> let, him th- let me through. <laughs> not giving a single fuck. No, I just was standing over for the grandstands. Like this is the best thing ever. So anyway, Daytona 500. Going into the first turn, we start seeing sparks. And I'm just like, what's going on? Like every time they would just pass over the spot and there's just sparks on the spot. Then the red flag goes up. A pothole <gasps> had developed in the track in turn one. And and the officials did not know what to do. They're just like, are we going to have to cancel this race? What's going on? Just a literal pothole. Like, it, it, there's still news articles and everything about it. So they end up pausing the race for four hours. Because they effectively had to go to Home Depot and get quick creep <laughs> <laughs> and try to fill in this pothole. And we're just I'm just standing there in Daytona Heat four hours, just just oh. watching watching Home Depot official try their best to just quick crete this NASCAR track and fix it and at least make it last. Well, they repaved it the next year, but just yeah. Thousands of people were just watching you, this one guy, quick create a hole. (laughs) Yeah. What a spectator sport. For those who don't know, our listeners, um, Daytona is in Florida. Yeah. Which is uh, tropical. And hot. (laughs) Even in February, it was like 86. And just, there's, on racetracks, there's no shade. No. It's just, you're... Yeah, uh, basically a, a satellite dish. I felt like one of those sun. hot dogs in like the hot dog rollers <laughs> at a gas station. Someone get I the mustard. Swear. Oh my god! And you're crowded by mm-hmm. like thousands of other people yep. in Florida. Yep. Yep. Ugh. All right. Last like last story is my favorite. We went to Atlanta Motor Speedway. We've talked about it a couple times already. Um, it was me, my friend Audrey, and uh, our uncle. And um. Oh, well, our uncle, my name was uncle. Yeah. And first thing we see, we walk in and there's this, just this guy. He's just, he's just got a booth inside of Atlanta Motor Speedway. I've already told him about this, but the sign it's for seat cushions. And the sign just says, beats the sit out of other seats. That's the <laughs> sign. That's the advertising. So I'm like that guy, he's making money. Um, but the real point, we get into the race and, and it's one of those tracks that's like, you know, it's the mile and a half tracks. They're, they're a little bit, they're fuel races. They're not many wrecks. This one had like two or three. So that was kind of, you know, a, a little bit of a change, Exciting. a little bit of a change of pace in those. The person in front of us was a massive David Reagan fan. And if you were like David Reagan, who's that exactly? <laughs> um, 
he might be one of the worst drivers to ever professionally race in NASCAR. Oh, um, poor David. And, and poor dude, right? But I mean, like the fact that you got there, like if you were if you're a second string NFL player, good job, you got there, right? Yeah, right. You're, yeah, you're yeah, still yeah, racing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, still exactly. Good. So, but this guy for some reason was a massive David Reagan fan. I don't know why, but he would he was he was one one hand was his beer. Second hand was he was pointing at David Reagan's car all the way around the track <laughs> for all three hours <laughs> of the race. <laughs> except for except for two instances. First instance was when David Reagan's engine blew up and he was out of the race and then the guy just left. But Oh my god. Yeah, oh poor god. yeah, yeah. The guy just was like distraught and just left. The second instant was Myself, our uncle, Audrey, we're just sitting there, and all of a sudden we hear a little bit of shouting. We're just like, what's going on? We turn around, two people are yelling at each other behind us. Literally the row behind us. And they start fighting. Like a fist fight. Like a literal, <laughs> like, like just, just, they start swinging on each other. And, and they start punching out each other. And normally, normal human beings are just like, oh, there's a fight. I don't want to get involved. Yeah. Right. The lady. Let's give him some space. <laughs> not at a NASCAR race. <laughs> the lady behind them decided, you know what the best thing to do right now would be? I'm going to pour my beer on them. No! <laughs> <laughs> so they're just fighting. They're going at it. And this lady behind them just looks down. She's drunk because it's nighttime and you're at a NASCAR race. What else would you be? Um, And just there. starts pouring their beer all over these two people who are fighting. Oh my god. And then reaches over and grabs who I assume is her husband's beer and just does the same thing again. <laughs> oh my god. And these god. are not cheap beers. These are like the beers are like twenty bucks a pop at these events. And there's Damn. just she just spent forty dollars to agitate them more, and it's great. <laughs> NASCAR eventually officials and police eventually come up and break up the fight and then they they're escorted out and everything was fine and then and the lady was just like that's the most fun I've had today. <laughs> <laughs> and the race just continues on like normal. Like, like the, everybody in the stands are like, oh, that's interesting. It just keeps watching. Like, nothing. It's just a common occurrence. Yeah. I'm just like, what is going on? Oh, my God. It was my favorite. It's one of the best things I've ever, I ever remember. Because also, they were also both very drunk, and it was not a good fight. Oh, so imagine like drunk, like slapping each other. Almost. Drunk slapping, yeah. like imagine, like, like slow motion. Imagine like a toddler trying to like, like throwing a tantrum and trying to like, you know, angrily throwing something at you and just <laughs> fail. <laughs> well, that actually tracks because Morgan, pull up this, uh, this TikTok video. Um, okay. It just, that's on brand. That's all I got to say. It's on brand for, cause like the whole vibe is. Um, just drink alcohol, watch racing. That was very funny. Real that fast is and fast real left. <laughs> There's just so much to unpack about this video. Like, one, why is that guy dressed like George Washington? Why is he not? Uh, I, <laughs> I assume it's a, a barstool sports gig because of the microphone. Um, but this is like the quintessential 
Yeah. Southern gentleman. He's wearing a cut-off t-shirt with the words badass <laughs> on the front. <laughs> He's got a backwards baseball cap. He's got the the rainbow reflective hunting glasses. Yeah. Um and his eyes are pointing in different directions. <laughs> He's so intoxicated. Yep. So, uh, yeah, this is great. Thank you for sharing You're that with me. You're welcome. You're very real welcome. Real fast, real left. We're going real fast. And they real go real, left. son. <laughs> I am going to put this this link in the um, show notes too because everyone needs to watch this. If you want to know what the vibe of a NASCAR race is, it's that. I love All it. Right. Welcome to the South. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. All, all are welcome. Welcome. <laughs> okay, well, um, this was great. Thanks for, um, thanks for joining us, Zach. This was no yeah. Thank you, Zach. Yeah. It was so nice to like whenever we came up with questions in the episode to actually have someone. Yeah. Instead of just googling it to answer, and have to, to, to kind of like, at yeah. least kind of knew what I was talking about for the most part. No, you absolutely knew what you were talking about. We're over here just like. <laughs> And this happened in 1965. <laughs> and sometimes we Google it and sometimes we're like, I don't know. And we just keep going. Yeah. Yep, there you go. <laughs> I mean, we are ill-equipped. So I feel I feel yes. more equipped today with Zach. <laughs> Less ill-equipped yes. podcast. Ill-equipped. <laughs> Semi-equipped. Slightly yes. equipped. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll probably have Zach on later for other things. Um, hope y'all liked him. Yeah, this audience. was a lot of fun. I am a man with much approximate knowledge. <laughs> yes, much. <laughs> runs in our family where um, like you just say something and somebody in the family is like oh well in in 1876 this happened or that happened it's like where does all this knowledge come from no yeah it's like uh it's like db cooper or the fact that uh columbia has a hippopotamus problem now because of pablo escobar you know things like that yeah just random random yep yep that's okay it's all the documentaries we watched with dad i think yeah, history yeah. channel. Yeah, the history channel. <laughs> we know too much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, um Morgan, I guess we should get into socials. Mm-hmm. Um you can find us on Facebook in a group and page. Ill equipped history podcast. Instagram at ill equipped history. TikTok at ill equipped history. Gmail ill-equipped history at gmail.com and patreon patreon.com slash ill-equipped history for five bucks a month you get a shout out and a sticker and access to our monthly bonus episodes yes and we've got a good bonus episode um this month about coffee and tea and the history of all that it's real fun um especially if you're addicted to coffee like i am and um (laughs) i guess you know just remember uh, bumpin's racing. If you're not first, you're last. If it still has tires, I can finish the yeah. race. And raise hail, praise Dale. Zach, any any last words, parting words? Uh, I'm just a big hairy American wind machine. I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, um, K-bye! K-bye!